So today is the third and final talk we're doing on how we as a community of Tommy Dean disciples are like a family. And we've raised a lot of questions about what does that actually look like? How does that affect like the way we structure our community, uh, where we gather, when we gather, what we do when we gather? We've asked a lot of questions like that. And today we're going to talk about gangs. And this is going to be pretty fun. I think the two most famous gangs I don't know, tell me, what are the most famous gangs that you've heard of? Hell's Angels? West Side Gang? Indian Posse? Indian Posse? That's more local, I'm thinking. And that's not East Indian you're talking, is it? They deal in, in, um, in, in illegal curry, if it would be in East India. Oh, well, me too. But not illegal curry, because it would probably be laced. But um, that's totally off track. Another two famous gangs are like the Crips and the Bloods, based in LA. Actually, when I was doing some inner city stuff in Calgary, someone taught me how to spell blood with my hands. Do you want to see it? Pretty cool. See? You can practice with me if you want. There's the B. See the B? Do a B. There's the L. See the L? There's an O. Ah, wait. B, L. Okay, here's the O. Oh, it's hard to do an O. My fingers don't crank. Uh, oh, okay, there. There's an O. There's an O. Got it? See? O. Oh, ouch. Okay, there you go. See it? I can spell blood with my fingers. And that's what I learned. So, anyway, that's a gang thing. Don't, wanna, don't do that in L.A., okay? You can practice it here. But don't do this in L.A. or you're going to get in trouble if you do that with the wrong people. So, anyway, you can do that to say, I believe in the blood of Yeshua. I'm redeemed through the blood of Yeshua. So that's what that means. That's the messianic uh, version of the, the blood's famous sign, I guess. Anyway. Yeah, and I'm, you know, like gangsters. I, did you notice there's kind of like a resurging interest in gangsters? I don't know, even I think down in Moose Jaw, you know, they opened up the tunnels where some of the gangsters would come up across the border and continue their illegal activities and whatnot. Um, in movies, I think there's a resurgence of interest in gangsters. Gangsters, gangs, same thing, right? So anyway, we're going to talk today about what it is that gangs offer, why they attract people, and what it is that Yeshua offers. And I think you're going to be surprised to see how similar these two things are. What Yeshua offers and what gangs offer are very similar in many regards. And I have five specific things I want to key in on with you, but there are going to be others too. And uh, hopefully this will raise some more practical questions about how we in the city and in the areas where we live can uh, do community in such a manner to um, basically to offer what it is that Yeshua offers. Oh, gangs... You know how we've been talking about family? This does tie in, right? Because gangs basically are families. That's like the, one of the big attractions of gang is family. It's like th your replacement family, if you really don't like the family that you grew up with. Or it's the family that you never had. It, it offers that, uh, that example. I'm going to be quoting several studies from different uh, professors and sociologists who have you know, done case studies of gangs and interviewed gang members. Um, here's, here's a quote from a gang member that um, a sociologist named Joanne Moore did of East LA gangs in 1991. Uh, the year that I was there, it was like, um, they were like family because we could all take care of each other. I think they were like my own family. I think it was more with them than with my own family, because I left my own family for a while. Could you hear the key word in that quote? Family, family, family. Maybe. This East LA member of a gang was saying, this gang was my family. 
Um, sociologists have a word for this. They call it fictive kin. Who, who here knows what kin is? Your kin folk, right? That's more like a hillbilly, hillbilly term. My kin. These are my kin folk. And uh, fictive is related to fiction. It's like your pretend, basically. Your pretend family or your imaginary family. That kind of concept, right? Um, uh, another sociologist named Carol Stack did a study in 1974 on gangs. And um, this is how she defined fictive kin. Fictive kin refers to people who are unrelated biologically or by marriage, but use familiar, familial labels like mom or sister or pops or bro, those kinds of labels, to signify relationships characterized by trust, reciprocity, how would you say that word? Okay, good. And commitment. Fictive kin typically originate in settings where people have limited access to economic resources and familiar networks. So did you hear that? Fictive kin happens when people are like low income, kind of poor hoods. Um, fictive kin often also happens when people don't have family. The insecurity and unexpected crises that characterize these settings may quickly transform a friendship into a deeper, more reciprocal, fictive kin relationship. So you know when you're on your own or when times are tough or where you're in a dangerous hood, uh, your friends kind of take on like larger proportions than friends. They all of a sudden become like your family members, right? Your bros kind of thing. So that's, um, that's what Carol Stack would have to say about that. So let, we're going to look at five things here that, um, that gangs offer and see what that might have to say about Yeshua and his offer. Uh, number one, gangs offer identity. That's like a big que pressing question for a lot of people. Who am I, right? And you'd think it would be a no-brainer, like, you know, I'm a human being or I'm blah, blah, blah. But I remember in my teen years, that was like a huge question for me. Like, who am I anyway? Yeah, like I can look in the mirror and I see a face there. And yeah, I do certain things, you know, I skated or I did whatever. But like, who am I long term, eh? And um, for a lot of people, they answer that question by joining a gang. All of a sudden, your gang is who you are. Your, your gang buddies, you have your identity with them. That's the, uh, the idea, right? I would, I would suggest to you that what Yeshua offers is the, like basically what gangs offer. Like gangs say, you know what? We'll give you an identity. You will be somebody in the gang. Yeshua says, I want to give you an identity. You can be somebody in my gang of disciples. I want to make you somebody in my kingdom. I want to give you that identity. So that's pretty sweet. Here's a, here's a passage from one of Paul's letters about that. Uh, did you know that in Yeshua's gang, we have a father? Yep. And um, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, Paul says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So you catch that? He says, we're in a family. And I, I bow my knees to the Father, because he's the one who gives us our name. And your name in Hebrew is your identity, right? He's the one who gives me my identity is the idea there. Um, I, I, uh, I belong to a family. Did you notice most of us in this room have at least two names? How many of you just have one name? You just have a first name. Okay, nobody. Um, how many of you have a last name also? What's that called? It's sometimes called a surname or a family name. Yeah, why is it called a family name? Because everybody in your family has the same last name. 
Isn't that interesting? That's your identity. So like Tirza, she, you know, Tirza is her first name, that's her distinctive, but Avraham is her last name because she belongs to a family. That's who she is. That's where she gets her identity, right? So it's pretty sweet that we're called by God's name, we're in his family, and that's where we get our identity from. Um, that can be a big thing. So like remember that, you know, as you represent our community, as you represent Yeshua and his call to people around you, remember that Yeshua offers an identity. Yeshua is offering a family for people to become part of. And um, how, how, could we, how could we draw that out, the whole concept of identity? Maybe we could draw like just a, a, some kind of a card or a, maybe a, often your identity is like, you know, you have a, some kind of a card to represent your identity. Maybe we'll just draw, yeah, like some kind of a ID card. There's a card, usually has a picture of you. We'll do a mugshot pick. And there's your name, usually your first and your last name, and some vital statistics about you. Okay, the uh, second thing that gangs offer is belonging. And like, like as human beings, we like so need to belong. Did you notice that nobody really likes being totally alone? Nobody really enjoys feeling rejected or like they don't fit in or like they're the odd one out or the loner or the third wheel or that kind of thing. Like we have all of these expressions in English to express like this feeling that we don't like and that we will do everything to avoid, right? And I mean, you know, sometimes it's kind of tough. Like let's say you're in a school situation. You often have to be a certain way, dress a certain way to kind of fit in so that you can belong to a subculture in the school situation, for instance, eh? And um, we have like this really deep need to belong. And um, that's something that gangs offer, hey? Like in a gang, it's like you belong to us. We're your family, man, you know? Like, you, you are at home with us. We will, we will not reject you. You're not the odd one out. You're one of us, that kind of thing. That's what gangs offer. It's kind of interesting that maybe Yeshua offers that too. Uh, here's, here's, a couple, here's a couple quotes from a couple studies on that. Uh, Mary G. Harris in 1988 did a study of girls in Chicano gangs. She says, The girls in the study expressed clearly a sense of belonging to the gang and compared gang membership to a family. One young woman said, it was a family. We protected each other. We took care of each other. We stole for each other. And uh, notice where she said we cared for each other. We're going to look at that one in a second, too. Um, another study by James Vigil in 1988. His conclusions were that gangs may compensate for family by providing members with a sense of belonging. Gang youths often refer to their fellow gang members as brothers or sisters or use other familial labels to describe relationships. These familiarities stress the group nature of their interactions and provide a sense of personal and group identity. Gangs provide youths an alternative source of identity and are a place, often the only place, for the youth to experiment with their identity. Here's, a, here's another passage from Paul's letter to the early, let's call, them, call it a Yeshua gang, in a big city called Ephesus that had an inner city. In uh, chapter 2, verse 19, he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, did you hear that? He was like, what, there was a time when you were an outsider, when you were a stranger, when people looked at you and said, that guy doesn't belong here. But you are fellow citizens with the saints, like the, the Kedoshim, the holy people, and are of God's family. Isn't that awesome? He's saying, like, that's what you were, but not anymore. Like, you're a fellow citizen now. You belong with us. You're part of the family. 
That's like, that's gang speak right there. And uh, Paul says that that is something that is offered to every person in our city and in our neighborhoods through the gospel. So the, the, it's the whole concept of belonging. Did you notice too in the study by James Vigil, he mentioned group several times? Like, it's pretty cool. You think about it. What did Yeshua do? He, you know, he like... He was born, he grew up a pretty regular kid, he had a teenage mom, um, his dad was a blue-collar worker, um, Yeshua grew up working with his dad, he worked a job, he moved into the neighborhood, he lived in this little obscure backwards town for like the first three decades of his life, and uh, then he kind of hit the public after that, and I mean he did do some things that caught people's attention, you know, some like paranormal stuff like healing people and whatnot, but um, he would be walking around and he would see people and he'd make eye contact with them. And what would he invite them to do? He was like, hey, come with me. You know, follow me. And that was, that was like the original call. And so there were guys that would do that. They would just like walk away from the family business. They would be like, they'd run home. And they'd be like, hon, like I'm, I'm gonna, I, I got to track with this guy for a bit of time. Can you just, can you take care of the kids? I'll come back as often as I can, but I've got to follow with this guy. And what did they do? They were like, they hit the road. Yeah, like they did kind of have a base in Capernaum, right? But a lot of times, a lot of time they were traveling. Um, Yeshua was teaching them. He was pouring into these guys. They were watching the way he healed people, the way he taught in the synagogue, all this kind of thing. And you know what? Basically, they were a gang. Like, they were a very tight-knit group of guys and gals. And they like watched each other's backs. They called each other the equivalent of bro. They had nicknames for each other. Did you notice that? When a group of guys starts to have nicknames for each other, it means they're really tight. When you start calling each other stuff like Rocky or the Thunder Boys, you're getting really tight. And that's basically what like, you know, um, Boanerges or uh, Peter, those names. That's what that means, eh? So you can totally hear that even in the nicknames that these guys had to each other, for each other that their gang leader, Yeshua, gave them. And it's pretty awesome that they were like a gang that had a leader that had like a really, uh, they had a real hero, and um, they actually had a good cause to live for. I think that's pretty sweet too. So, see that there. How could we picture that concept of uh, belonging? Maybe we can draw like a circle of people, and then maybe we can draw someone coming into this, that circle, something like that. So let's say here's a, let's say in Yeshua's gang, let's say here's the master, and we'll draw him with a crown. Not that he had a crown, but he was the Mashiach, the king, so we definitely get that, uh, concept and then we have some of his guys here and uh, maybe that's like uh, Miriam the mother of Yaakov or something but anyway you have this circle of people right and um, and they all belong and they're following the master in, in this gang and uh, let's say there's someone over here And he's by himself. He's alone. You know, he doesn't belong anywhere. And uh, let's say there's a gal over here too. And uh, you know, a lot of the people that that joined Yeshua's gang were social rejects. Were like the misfits of society. Were the people that were the they were the kind of people that people were like wouldn't have to their home because they just weren't safe kinds of people. You know, and those were the people that Yeshua said, "Hey, you're welcome to come and." join my gang. Come and follow me. And a lot of them did. So that's number two that we see here. And what, would that, what does that look like for us too, hey? Like as groups of Yeshua's Talmudim to be like, you know what? You are welcome to join our gang. You, you will belong with us if you want to. 
You know, there's that open invitation. What did Yeshua say? Like, if anybody comes to me, I'm not going to cast them out. What does that look like for us, hey? No matter who Yeshua sends to us, if that person comes with a good heart, even if they're maybe a little not safe, a little rough around the edges, maybe they're still cleaning up their language and stuff, what does that look like for us to be like, yeah, we're Yeshua's gang. And you know what? If you come to him, he's not going to cast you out. He's going to take you in. And uh, we're going to do the same. Uh, the third thing that gangs offer is care, help, and support. Remember we talked about that when we were talking about what families offer? We talked about how it, in, in a family, you know, like you'll, you'll often, if you have a family member who's sick, you'll be the one to take them to the hospital. If you have a family member who needs the lawn mowed and they can't do it, you, you know, you might drive over and do that for them. Um, if you have a family member who's like in a huge bind and they need 500 bucks to make it to the end of the month, you know what? You might shell out 500 bucks for your family member when you'd never do that for anybody else. You know what I'm saying? Those are the kinds of things that family will often do for each other. And those are the kinds of things that gangs offer too. Um, here's, a, here's something that a gang member said in a study by a sociologist named Martin Sanchez-Jankowski in 1991. Before I joined the gang, I could see that you could count on your boys to help in times of need. And that meant a lot to me. And when I needed money, sure enough, they gave it to me. Nobody else would have given it to me. My parents didn't have it, and there was no other place to go. The gang was just like they said they would be, and they'll continue to be there when I need them. That's what that guy had to say about a gang. Can you hear that? It's like, I had physical needs, and they were there for me, and they're going to be there for me. Um, another uh, sociologist, James Vigil, I already mentioned him, in a 1988 study said that almost half of the Chicano gang members he interviewed expressed, quote, familial supportive behavior when explaining the significance of their gang. So, you know, about half of gang members, when they were talking about what their gang meant to them, they said, you know, these guys take care of me, like family members take care of each other. And so I'm in. So what, what, what would that look like for us as, a, as a Yeshua's gang, as, you know, people in his family, bros and sisters in his family? It's just like, uh, that's almost too practical, hey? It's like when people have needs, you help them out. And I mean, hey, you know, his love in us just moves us to do that. It's kind of second nature for us. But I think there are ways that we can structure our communities to most facilitate that. You know, where it's like if someone has a need, it just comes up right away. Um, and, and it's really easy to just help them. So, you know, even in our community, like we were talking about that a couple weeks ago. Someone had a need and someone said, you know, maybe we should form a committee to help them. And what I would say is, you know what, if you see a need, just act and, and help out. You know, just take initiative and say, let's do something about this. Don't wait for anybody else to do it because that's not the way we're structured as a community, right? Like organizationally, we're really flat, we're really lean, and that's for a reason. So there's lots of room for people to, uh, to take initiative. So how could we, uh, what could we draw to express care, help, and support like that? What? Her head crossed. Helping hand. Okay, hey, that's cool. Okay, let's draw a hand stretched out here. Hi, baby. To uh, this hand. Saying, I need help. Sorry for the kind of blobby hands. Cool. Okay, um, the fourth thing that gangs offer is solidarity, protection, 
and escape. I kind of grouped those together. Solidarity, protection, and escape. Uh, Joanne Moore in 1991 did a study of East Los Angeles gangs and uh, she made some interesting discoveries about these people's backgrounds and some of the stuff that they faced. Um, over a quarter of the women in gangs reported that a family member had made sexual advances on them while they were growing up. So there was a lot of, of sexual abuse in the families of these girls that ended up in gangs. Um, almost a quarter of the men and about half of the women lived with a heroin addict during their childhood. So if they were to look at a gang in East LA, about 25% of the women and 50% of the men grew up with probably a mom or a dad or a brother or sister who was a heroin addict. That's really high. Um, about half of the men and over half of the women had a member of the household die during their formative years. That's pretty tough. It's like, I don't know, I, I, I'd be interested, like, how many of us had a member of our immediate household die while we were kids growing up? Like mom, dad, brother, sister, basically. Okay, none of us. If, 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 if this was a gang, over half of the people in the room would put up their hands and say, yeah, you know, my mom or my dad, my brother, my sister were killed when I was a kid growing up. So a lot of violence, right? Um, also, more than half of the men and three quarters of the women witnessed the arrest of a household member when they were children. Man, that's tough. Like, so if we were to ask that in a gang setting like this, how many of you, when you were a kid, watched one of your, like, your, your immediate family members that you were living with arrested, like, most of the hands would go up? Um, um, so you can... You can totally, um, you know, you can see that in pretty much any city. Uh, there are people who face, like, alcoholism, drug abuse, um, you know, sexual abuse, uh, violence in the home, uh, growing up with criminals in the home. And uh, these are the people that are most likely to reach out to a gang. And you know what, for a lot of these people, it is an, it is an escape route. It's like, I need to get out of here. Um, so someone was saying here in Prince Albert, it's uh, for a lot of girls, having a baby is the escape route. You have a kid, and then you can get out on your own, and you get your own welfare, basically. Eh? Uh, it's that same idea. It's like, I need to get out of my home life, I want to try and get a fresh start, so I, I'm going to join a gang. They're kind of like my ticket out. Eh? That's a, that would be a escape. Um, you know, the whole solidarity and protection thing, if you have people on your tail, if you have people who hate you and want to kill you, a gang is a really attractive option. Um, if you just want people that are like your allies, who are going to stand with you so you don't feel alone, so you feel safe, a gang is going to be a really attractive uh, option. Um, that's probably something that happens in P here in PA pretty regularly. Uh, we have some pretty dangerous hoods. I mean, someone was murdered on the street next to us a couple months ago, and we're not even in the West Flat. Like, we're in the East Flat, you know. Um, alcoholism is pretty huge in PA. Last year, there were, uh, how many? There were like 1,800 arrests in Saskatoon for uh, public intoxication. 1,800 here in PA. A city that's six times smaller, we had 2,800 arrests for public intoxication, eh? So, like, we have massive alcoholism in our city. And kids that grew up in these kind of families are going to want to get out. They're going to want safety, protection, allies. And the, usually the thing that offers those is a gang, is a group of gang members. And so a lot of kids get sucked into gangs. And yeah, they do get that. They do get some protection. They have allies, sometimes material support and care and stuff. But the downside is you often end up with addictions or a criminal record or... Um, I don't know, did you ever notice in gang families, maybe you've seen movies, it's like, yeah, these are my family and they'll watch out for me, but if I try to leave them, they'll kill me. 
It's like, that's love for you, hey? That's not love, that's more like fear. I don't know, if you, if you even saw like, uh, did any of you guys see the movie uh, Courageous? They played it for free at a crossroads a month or whatever ago. It's a great movie, I totally recommend it. But they, they, there were some interesting pictures in there of like gang life and it's like, we are bros now, but if you try and leave, we'll kill you. It's like, well, thanks for the love, man, you know? So that's kind of the, that's kind of the downside of um, having a gang that, that are your allies and your, uh, your protectors, as it were. Right. What's that? Communal Yeah, communal living, right? That would be similar too. So, you know, all that to say, like, we have that in our city, we have that in our province, and what would it look like for us as communities of Yeshua's disciples to offer what he's offering, to offer, like, allies, to offer people who will go with you through tough times, who will stand with you, who will protect you if you need it, who will offer an escape? Like, seriously, some people just want an escape. What would that look like? I wonder if Yeshua offers an escape. It's kind of what salvation is, hey? It's like salvation is where you're stuck and you just want to get out and Yeshua says, all right, I'll take you. I'm going to save you. It's kind of maybe a different look at salvation, hey? Getting you out, helping you escape, that kind of thing. And then uh, what, what, could we, uh, what could we draw for that one? The whole, the whole uh, thing of solidarity, protection, and escape. Maybe, uh, you know what, let's draw a home with um, some messed up stuff happening in it and then we'll draw someone just wanting to get out of there. Something like that. Escape. Okay, so um, here's a little kid in this home. And uh, here's someone over there with, here with the bottle. Um, here's a cop car. The lights flashing and the sirens going and the cops coming in. Um, here's some needles. Right? And this is the kid growing up with this, right? And uh, that wants to get out. And over here's a gang, right? Draw a gang with some dudes with uh, handkerchiefs on their head because that's how we do it in our city. There. And then here's Yeshua. And some of his guys. Yeah. Is that Um, No, that's not Pilipus. That's another disciple of Jesus. All right, so that's kind of, that's a picture of that. Yeshua's like, hey, you can come to me. You know, I've got people. You can join my gang. What's that, Genevieve? Oh, draw a beard on Yeshua, of course. Right. There we go. How's that? Oh, I almost committed sacrilege by not drawing a beard on the master. That was scary. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, okay, cool. So, and then the fifth, uh, the fifth thing that gangs offer is gender modeling and initiation. Gender modeling is like when you need a guy to show you what it means to be a man and how to act like a man. Or if you're a lady, like when you're a little girl growing up, like having women around to show you how to be a woman how to be attractive, um, that kind of thing, right? And um, how to survive. And um, that's something that gangs offer that um, I think all of us need. So like in a real family, right? In a real family unit, the way it was designed to happen, like if you're a boy growing up, you have a dad who is like showing you every day how to be a man, um, how to provide for the family, how to love a woman, how to be strong and humble, and uh, how to walk with God, all that kind of stuff, right? If you're growing up in like a normal family, 
If you're growing up in a broken home, or if you're growing up on the streets, you don't have that. Same thing if you're a girl, right? You don't have that. Um, and there's something in like the heart of every guy and every girl who longs for that. And you know what? If a guy isn't like fathered by his dad growing up, or if a girl isn't really mothered by her mom, that can leave you with this huge question mark inside in your 50s and 60s and 70s. It's like, yeah, my dad never showed me how to be a man. And I'm still trying to figure this thing out. You know, those kinds of things. And uh, that's, uh, that's something that my generation is experiencing and reaching out for. I mean, like, um, single parents are an epidemic in our culture. Kids growing up with just a mom or just a dad, or maybe they get shuffled back and forth every now and then. It's huge, right? And that's um, only growing. I mean, like, you look at the guys in the prison system. Most of the guys in the prison system grew up without a dad. Um, on Mother's Day, all of the Mother's Day cards get taken and sent off to moms. On Father's Day, forget it. Like, they might as well not even offer Father's Day cards, and I'm, that's, that's for real, right? Like, that's, that's the situation in, in, in the prisons. And that says something there. And um, you know what? Even a lot of guys who grew up with dads around, they were never, like, intentionally initiated into manhood. It's kind of like the dad be like, yeah, you know, I got you in the house. But the son grows up with his dad never talking to him about, about what it means to be a man, what it means to be strong, what it means to, to love a woman, what, what a male sexuality is all about, all of these different things. It's like the dad just expects like, either the public education system to teach his kid or the church to teach his kid or maybe both of them. Eh? And that's really sad. Anyway, and, that, and that's huge, right? But, and you know, here's the thing. Gangs offer what families are designed to offer. So if you're, if you're growing up and you don't have a dad and you want some men to look up to and to follow and to learn from, gangs are really attractive because often the, the dudes in gangs have a lot of initiative. Uh, they're cool. Um, they're strong. Maybe they even border on violent, but you can tell they're pretty self-sufficient. And it's like, yeah, I want to follow those guys. I want to hang out with those guys. And um, I think, I think you know, for, for all of us growing up, um, whether you be a a guy or a gal, you can probably look back to your early years and say, yeah, you know, there was this person, I thought that person was really cool. I really admired that person. I really wanted to be with that person and be like that person, eh? And uh, that's something that gangs totally offer. Um, here's, a, here's a quote from John Hagedorn uh, from the University of Illinois, Chicago, uh, in a study he did on gangs. He just said, the gang has always been an arena for the acting out of gender. So in a gang, you're not just like a genderless homogenous blob in a gang you're a man or in a gang you're a woman and you're treated like that unlike much of our culture today in much of our culture today there's this like agenda to make everybody genderless blobs right so it's like you're not a man anymore you're just a person you're not a woman anymore you're just a person and that happens in school that happens in church that happens all over the place and the result is people grow up with gender confusion Guys don't act like guys. Girls don't act like girls. They all think they're the same. You know, and often there's sexual confusion. Sometimes homosexuality is the result of that. There's a lot of stuff along those lines, hey? And in a gang, that doesn't happen so much. In a gang, men are men and women are women. And they're related to that way. And uh, that's something that, that's offered. Yeah. So, I mean, like, what does that look like in a community of Yeshua's disciples? Firstly, like, I, you know, ideally, we'll have healthy family units. We'll have families where, where men are men and women are women, and they relate to each other in that way, and they're showing their kids what that looks like, you know? Um, hopefully, 
that won't just be in the family units, but in the community in general. And uh, like, I, I, I see that in our community. Like, I, I, you know, as a younger man and as a younger husband, I, I look at the men in this community and I say, wow, like these guys love their wives, they are faithful, they're there for their wives, and I just, I love watching you guys and how you relate to your wives and treat them. You know, so I totally see that in our community. But that's what a gang offers too. And if somebody hasn't seen like a Yeshua gang and seen what that offers, they'll probably just go to a, shall we call it a substitute gang? Something like that, eh? All right. So, you know, I, I, um, I, I want our community to continue to be a place where each of us are on that journey. Like if you're a woman, you are on a journey of discovering what it means to glorify God not just as a genderless, homogenous blob, but to glorify God as a woman. Because it's not just you as a person that glorifies God, your femininity glorifies God in a special way that men can't glorify Him. If you're a man, then there's something about your masculinity and how you think and how you operate and how you relate as a man that glorifies God. People will look at that and be like, that tells me something about God. Um, Paul said that actually, like in 1 Corinthians 11, he said men are the glory of God. And I'm sure that applies to women too, but did you get that? It's like you are the glory of God walking around in your neighborhood and talking to people. So when a person looks at you and they see how you live as a man or how you live as a woman, they're seeing something of the glory of God. Wow. You know, that's a journey I'm on. Like, that is totally a journey that I'm on. You know, I want to know what is, what is, what is masculinity looks like that reflects who my God is. What is it like to be a man like Yeshua was? Yeah, and I mean, that's a huge, you know, and along that journey, there are challenges, there are struggles, um, there are times of victory and triumphs, and uh, I found I've really gotten to know the Father better through that journey of mine, you know? So if you're on the journey, awesome. Let's continue to be on that journey. If you're not, hey, maybe it's time to get out of the ditch and get on the path, you know? Ask the tough questions. Um, for some of us, we have years where maybe somebody failed us, maybe a father or mother failed us, or where we had some kind of like figure we looked up to as a man or woman and they failed us, and we just checked out, you know? Um, for some of us, we might need to go back to that, those chapters in our lives and actually feel through those for the first time, uh, which can be a, a really tough thing, but it's worth it. It's better than lying in the ditch and not being on the path, right? There's going to be some pain involved maybe, and that's okay. I, I've had to go through some of that too. You know, I'm, I'm a typical guy, so there's been some times in my life where tough stuff has happened, and I just checked out and watched The Simpsons. Literally. You know, I remember the day when my dad moved out of our house, and I just checked out and I watched The Simpsons that day. Didn't feel anything. I didn't think about anything. I just watched The Simpsons. And it wasn't until like five or six years later that I actually started to think about stuff. And that was a really, really hard year. I bawled a lot, right? But I needed to do that because my heart was stonewalled until then. It was like I took my heart and I shoved it in a, in a room and I put bricks over the door. I just brickwalled the door, you know? And you can't, you can't live like that. You end up checked out. You end up with no strength. You end up with, like, you're like a walking zombie, like a hollow shell, you know? And uh, we live in a world that needs passionate people. We live in a world that, like, needs men and women with hearts that are alive. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's something Yeshua is inviting people to, like, in this world. So, I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe as a community, we can offer that to uh, people who need, you know, if you want to call it like gender modeling or uh, 
gender initiation, that kind of thing. Um, I really enjoyed the, the writings of a guy named John Eldridge. Um, not that I agree with everything anybody writes, but you know, the father has really used some of the things that John Eldridge has written to father me, to teach me about gender initiation, to um, show me more of what he created to be, me to be as a man, which is really crazy. Like his most famous book is called Wild at Heart, eh? And I read Wild at Heart when I was 20, and it blew me away. I was like, for the first time in my life, I feel like somebody understands me. And I feel like it's okay to be me. Because he was just talking about, like, this is how God created you to be as a man. You know, he created you to desire adventure, to, um, to fight battles, to pursue a beauty, and to, to offer your strength to her. Like, those kinds of things. And I was like, wow, God made me to like blowing stuff up. You know, like, God made me to enjoy certain things that people just don't do in church sometimes, or that they just don't get any airtime. You know, it's like we do church in a certain way in a building, and sometimes it's kind of scripted and tame. And uh, what does church look like if you do it outdoors, camping, or something like that, you know? So anyway, it was a really awesome book. I love Wild at Heart. I love the stuff of John Eldridge. Um, I, I recommend him if you're kind of on that journey. It'll definitely get some conversations going, uh, raise some questions for you. So, I'll, uh, one final thought about gender modeling and initiation. Um, one of Yeshua's guys that he nicknamed Rocky, or The Rock, Simon Peter, he wrote a letter to disciples of Yeshua out there in the diaspora, outside the land of Israel. And in chapter 2, verse 17, this is what he said. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Respect God. Honor Caesar. I like that. It's like punchy, hey? Boom, boom, boom. And did you notice that? One of the things he said is, love the brotherhood. Did you notice that? Like Simon Peter viewed communities of Yeshua's disciples as a brotherhood, as a sisterhood. And uh, I checked, up the, checked out the Greek word for that just for fun. The Greek word for uh, brother is adelphos. Everybody say adelphos. And the uh, brotherhood is like adelphotes. Everybody say adelphotes. Yeah. And uh, we like, we're kind of like Hebrew here, so I'll tell you the Hebrew equivalent too. Would that be cool? Okay. Hebrew is ach for brother. Ach. Kind of like, you know, in English, if you're frustrated, you say, oh, brother, sometimes. Same thing. Ach. And that's how you can remember that. And if you want to say my brother, you say achi. Everybody say achi. Mike, Mike is good at that. Mike says achi a lot. I like that. Really? Use ach in Afrikaans and what does it mean? Ach. Oh, right. Like an expression of frustration, kind of? Like people say, oh, brother in English? Yeah, totally. Okay, so that's, that's in Afrikaans too. And then, um, the, do you want me to teach you the Hebrew word for sister too? Yes. Okay, it's achot. Everybody say achot. And you say e on the end of the word if you want to say my, right? So how would you say my achot, my sister? Achoti. Everybody say achoti. So look at a guy in the room and say achi. And look at a gal in the room and say achoti. Okay, that's the idea, right? So just think about that. Like in this room, we are a circle of brothers. We're brotherhood. In this room, I'm not, but like you are a circle of sisters. You are a sisterhood. I just, I, I want to explore that more. I think there's something very powerful there. It's kind of the idea that I think gangs offer too. Like, we are a group of brothers. We call each other bro. We're a brotherhood. 
um, you know, a group of sisters too sometimes. I think they're more guys and gangs, so that's why I'm talking more about guys on that one. Let's see, how could we, how could we draw that last, that last thing of Yeshua's brotherhood, Yeshua's sisterhood, and that whole concept of like, when you're growing up and looking for someone to model like, femininity or masculinity to you. Um, maybe I'll draw like, uh, a little person looking at a big person. That's what I'll do, something like that. So let's say, uh, here you have a little girl, and, uh, She's grown up without a mom in the house. And she's looking for a lady that she can look up to, that she can admire, that she can learn from, and be like mentored and initiated by. And uh, same thing with guys. We'll draw, draw a boy here. Boys like guns, so I'll draw a toy gun in his hand. And, uh, wow, that was a really tall guy. Anyway, and he's looking for a guy to, uh, to look up to and to, uh, to learn from. Hi, Tizzy. Hi. And uh, this guy, this guy's going to take him hunting because he needs to learn how to, how to shoot a gun. So there, we'll draw him with a nice, a nice rifle with a big scope. There we are, that's, that's awesome. It's like a 50 caliber BMG size gun. But anyway, so um, that's, that's a picture just of you know, gender modeling and uh, initiation. And uh, I'll leave you with a little postscript here. There is one other thing that gangs offer that Yeshua doesn't want us to engage in, and that is gang warfare. Gangs usually have a rival gang. Gangs usually like Duke slash shoot it out at some point or other. It's like, if you, ha you can't just have one gang, you have to have more than one gang. It's almost like churches, hey? Or synagogues, whatever. It's pretty true in the, in the Christian and the Jewish world. So I'll give you a couple, uh, I'll give you a couple uh, quotes here from a couple gang members in a study by Marjorie Zatz and Eduardo Portillo from 2000. One gang member says, they, talking about his relatives, his, his, like, his uh, biological family, they're from different gangs, though. But I don't care about them because they be trying to shoot at us all the time. My own uncle shot at me. One of them tried to kill me already, but that's all right. The other says that uh, we can't have family reunions or anything because they're always fighting. Like my uncles fight. At the funerals they fight. Or at the park or at a picnic when we get together. They just fight. So sometimes the family don't get together only for funerals. That's the only time. You know what's really sad? As often as like synagogues or churches or whatever you want to call us, we totally do the same thing. We get involved in this like juvenile gang warfare where it's like, yeah, they're the rival gang down the street or across the city, you know, and they've got more gang members and, and you know, we wear like, we wear the red handkerchiefs and, the, and they wear the blue ones and the red handkerchiefs are biblical and they're the only ones that really matter, right? Those blue handkerchiefs, they're not biblical. And, uh, and so we're not like them. And uh, if we see one of them, you know, we, we Maybe we'll say hi or we'll nod, but you know, when, but we'll, we'll, we'll knife them in the back if we can. You know? we'll, we'll talk bad about them behind their backs. We'll trash them. And, and we totally do that as believers. And uh, we need to repent of that. Because just like gang warfare is stupid, like when we as communities like trash talk other faith communities, it's just stupid. It's evil. And it's counterproductive. It's violence, right? People get hurt. 
And uh, I, like, I can be a fighter, but I don't like to fight. And I don't want to fight. Like, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm just like, I'm not a fighter. I just don't care. You know, it's, it's just not worth going there is often how I feel when it, when it comes to stuff. And you know, I mean, as communities, we have stuff we're passionate about. We have things that Yeshua is calling us to. He's restoring things, and we are a part of that restoration movement, right? And so that's a good thing. And there's a way of flying those flags, and there's a way of being outspoken about our values and who we are, and, uh, and, and the truth of the Word of God, but not getting sucked into gang warfare. Not trash-talking other believers or knifing them in the back, right? So, you know, that's an ongoing question. How do, we, how do we be who we are and be passionate and outspoken about that and at the same time watch the backs of other believers and, 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 and show honor? It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Like Simon Peter, he didn't say honor the people that you think deserve to be honored. He said honor everybody. Like our code of honor as disciples of Yeshua, is I honor everybody. I don't care who they are. I don't, know what kind of, I don't care what kind of crimes they committed. I don't care how slimy that televangelist comes across like. I don't care um, how crooked a politician might be, maybe a big corruption scandal case or something like that. I don't care. I will still honor that person. That's, that's the idea of Simon Peter saying that, hey? So I just, I, I challenge you with that. What does that look like for you to honor all people? And especially um, people in Yeshua's, Yeshua's gang. Shalom, I'm Izzy Avraham, and thank you for joining me for this talk. I delivered these messages live during the years I was leading a congregation. They're now hosted by my Hebrew school, Holy Language Institute, at holylanguage.com. If you're interested in the talks I've done since then, or if you'd just like to say thank you for these teachings, become a member at holylanguage.com.